Well, I would say that Regenerative Organic Certified, and that's that's what our trademark is. It's Regenerative Organic Certified. It's a certification program, and it is a revolutionary new certification for food, fiber, and personal body care or botanical ingredients. And if when a shopper is buying this, they know that what they're purchasing makes a positive impact at every level. It's environmentally, ethically, and socially responsible. Welcome to the Brands for a Better World podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories behind people and products, building a more just, healthy, and regenerative future for us all. Tune in weekly, and together, we'll learn why these better products and brands were created, how they're helping fix broken systems, and what you can do to support them. My hope is that you'll discover some new brands to love and get some sparks of inspiration that will help you live your best life. Hi, I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow to scale their impact. This podcast is one way we do that. If you like the show, please help it grow by leaving ratings and reviews on your podcast app and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Maybe this will be one of them. This episode is part of a 2023 impact-driven gift guide series, where we're digging deeper into some of the impact certifications we chose to feature in this year's guide, so you have a better understanding of what they each mean and how they're helping make the world better. To get your copy of the gift guide, go to modernspecies.com backslash gift guide. This episode's guest is Elizabeth Whitlow, Executive Director of Regenerative Organic Alliance, and we talk about the Regenerative Organic Certification, how it came to be, what it means, how it's better for people, farms, animals, and the planet, and what you could do to support the movement. We then wrap up with a fun gift-themed rapid-fire question segment. Enjoy! All right. Hi, uh, my name is Elizabeth Whitlow, and I'm the Executive Director of the Regenerative Organic Alliance. The Alliance is a really awesome organization. It was founded by Dr. Bronner's Patagonia and the Rodeo Institute in 2017. Those three organizations, they came together. If you know those brands and organizations, you know that they really stand for organic. And they have long been known for carrying the torch for organic from Rodeo, for bringing organic, really, and organic methods to America, to farmers and consumers through their publication and through a lot of their training and research and work to educate farmers. And Patagonia and Bronner's, both brands who really were very dedicated to their supply chains being organic. Uh, Those three organizations came together and they were worried about the future of organic. There were some issues happening in organic at the time, and there was a lot of, of uh, perceived downward pressure on organic because of one, the allowance of hydroponics, which is a really huge division within the organic community. Um, and I had been with organics for like 17 years prior to that. So I, I saw a lot of that up close as an organic inspector and working for one of the nation's largest organic certifiers. Also, there was this allowance of factory farming of animals, very industrial sized livestock operations. So Bronner's and Patagonia, they reached out to Rodale. They're like, hey, what can we do? Let's get together and talk about it. So they met in Pennsylvania, gathered around a table, started talking about their vision for the future of agriculture and what they saw was missing from organic. And that was really the very beginning. And they started to feel like, oh gosh, we're onto something here. And they invited other stakeholders to join them. 
So they invited people from the animal welfare community, social fairness and labor and um, social justice and ranching and farming. And they all started hammering out what they called the regenerative organic certified standard. And that's what I'm here today to talk about is we can just call it the rock. Just We're <laughs> yeah. just going to cut straight to the quick here. We're going to call it rock, the rock framework, the rock standard and the certification program. And that's how I got involved. They hired me to oversee the global pilot program in 2018. And it's been amazing uh, how much we've done in five years. So happy to share with you today. And thanks yeah. for inviting me. It has indeed been amazing. I've, I've loved how much momentum the regenerative movement has been getting, partly because for me, it's this awesome combination of the future, but it's also grounded in the past, by which I mean regenerative organic practices are what we need as the world, as all of the species on this planet to be able to get back in harmony with the planet, but also back in harmony with ourselves, right? Yet, it's nothing new because technically regenerative organic ag agriculture has been basically the way humans and animals and the planet have operated since the beginning of time until not that long ago when we messed things up. It's so true. <laughs> so, it really so I love that it's, this, it's the future years. and the past. Yeah, it took us about 75 <laughs> yeah. years to really mess things up. But I'd say for millennia, humans have existed and coexisted with the earth and ways that really honored the natural balance and indigenous practices show this around the world. And so we do, you know, we really look at that kind of holistic approach to any farm in that same spirit and a very serious nod and homage to all the indigenous practices that are incorporated into the framework. Absolutely. Yeah. So to get us started, just in case anyone listening has literally no idea what regenerative is, can you explain or can you tell me, kind of talk about how you would describe regenerative organic certification to someone who knows absolutely nothing about the broken food system? Yeah. Well, I would say that regenerative organic certified, and that's that's what our trademark is. It's regenerative organic certified. It's a certification program, and it is a revolutionary new certification for food, fiber, and personal body care or botanical ingredients. And if when a shopper is buying this, they know that what they're purchasing makes a positive impact at every level. It's environmentally, ethically, and socially responsible. And the ROC or Rock Farms and the brands who carry that the marks are meeting the highest standards across three different pillars that go along with our program. And those, we look through a lens of soil health, animal welfare, and then social justice. So, you know, that would be it in a nutshell. Great. And I know it's, I think, one of the reasons in my mind the regenerative movement is growing so quickly in comparison to maybe some of the how much time it was taking to get organic itself off the ground is that with regenerative, it seems that both conventional and organic farmers are, are getting on board. I've been hearing both sides of the aisle there mm -hmm. talking about how regenerative practices are necessary, which is awesome to find something that kind of bridges that gap. However, I'm worried that because of that, we'll start seeing some like conflicting definitions and, yeah. you know, getting right back into the consumer confusion around, well, what does it even mean if this standard means that and that standard means that? Okay. So just for everyone listening, kind of in your own words, what would you say are the fundamental differences between the regenerative practices in general and regenerative organic practices or principles? 
You know, it's a really important point that you're making. Since I got this position, there have been, I think, five new regenerative certification programs that have popped up. Um, None of those other regenerative certifications require organic as the baseline. And that is the big differentiator for us. Organic has already done so much. And it is a really, it is the highest label out there. Consumers know that they are not getting synthetic pesticides that are persistent in the environment. They know they're not getting GMOs and they're not getting antibiotics in the, the animals or the livestock products. So that's the baseline. And that is really the primary difference between the regenerative organic certified and any other regenerative certified, regenified, certified regenerative, regen one, regen this, regen that. Like there's so many. And I think really important for people to understand that this is a new term. It's the hottest new buzzword. And brands are jumping on board to use this because they're all looking for something that, you know, there's a lot of growth. There's tons of growth and interest in regenerative and in the marketplace. And so we've got Unilever and PepsiCo and Walmart jumping on board and saying, well, we're doing regenerative too. We have mayonnaise made from (laughs) regenerative soybeans that came from Brazil where we cut down the Amazon. That's not regenerative. We have very strict (laughs) provisions in place. You can't cut down primary forest and plant a regenerative organic certified farm. You can't do a lot of things that you can do in the plain kind of light version of regenerative. And so I think it's just really important. Like if it seems too good to be true, generally in life, I find that it is. And so if you find that there are regenerative claims and it sounds so great and it's coming from like a massive, like some soda pop or something, like it's probably not really that regenerative. And consumers also, especially the next generation, Gen Z and millennials, they are looking really askance. They are very suspicious of greenwashing and they have a really low tolerance for being scammed. And so I think that we really have that in our favor because our program is the highest standard for agriculture that exists. And, and I think consumers can see that once they learn about it, once they see some of these farms we're working with, it becomes really clear how meaningful the standard is and how, what great effect it's having on the farm. I do want to say one thing though, that's really important is when you're talking about regenerative practices, we are all aligned and I want every farmer to learn how to incorporate those regenerative practices because it makes their farms better. It makes them more resilient. Right. They need less fertilizer. They need less chemical kind of herbicides or pesticides because they build healthy soil. Regenerative practices really focus a lot on the health of the soil. And there's five core principles. If you want, I can list those or we can talk about those later. I'm going to try and stay out of the rabbit holes like I promised you. So um, if you want me to get into the details of like kind of those core principles, I can now or later. Yeah, let's do it. All right. I like it. I'll, I'll be concise. So with the soil and let's think about the healthy, there are more living entities in one teaspoon of healthy soil than there are humans on the planet. Okay. Like more than 7 billion living organisms in a teaspoon of healthy soil, which is I'd say pretty revolutionary. And what is also really exciting is that soil science is a very emergent field and they're really making massive discoveries of what is happening between all these little organisms. And so we've identified maybe 15% of the organisms and their function. So we have 85% more. A lot of our medicine comes from 
the soil. A lot of activity that happens in our gut reflects the same thing that happens in the soil microbiome. So it's really important to make healthy soil. And so how we do that is we keep the soil covered with like an armor or protection. You keep the soil covered by leaving vegetative matter on the ground. You don't leave bare soil that blows away. We have a crop rotation requirement. So you have to, you can't just do corn, 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 soy, corn, soy. You don't, you know, that's barely a rotation and you don't want to monocrop massive tracts of land growing the same thing because you wipe out all diversity. So, right, you have crop rotations, keep the soil covered, bring in diversity. When you're really lucky, when you're really great, you bring in animals. You bring animals back to the farm because livestock make certain magic. When they're out there grazing and when they're defecating and urinating in the soil, they're adding to all the richness that is happening there. Even the saliva in a ruminant, a grazing animal, there's an interaction between the saliva of those ruminants and the microorganisms in the ground. And it's been proved, there's articles out there published that show the benefits of doing this with um, bringing these animals onto the farm. I think those are the main ones that I wanted to cover. Oh, the, the other big one is minimize your tillage, minimize your soil disturbance. So when you go through there with a heavy plow and you tear up the structure of the soil, you expose it to the air and all those beautiful little microorganisms are going to be exposed to oxygen and sunlight and they'll probably die. Right. Yeah, I think the average person is starting to learn more about soil, right? And I think the those of us who've been deep in this movement for a long time are excited because there's all this attention finally be, being put on soil because we've known that there's something precious there. Like without the soil, like what would we all be eating, right? We can't even yeah. <laughs> we can't even raise animals well without the soil because we have to grow their feed, right? But even for ourselves, all the plants that we're eating or all the uh, without good soil, even just all the trees and other kind of areas where all the other life forms kind of on land take refuge, et cetera. So it's, it, it is all kind of back to the soil that's really full of life, but also like giving us and all these other species life. Yeah. So all the more kind of microbiome in our own body, but also the kind of all the living organisms in the soil, like learning more about that as we learn, like you said, the other 85% of things we haven't identified in the soil, but also how all these things interconnect. I think we're going to get much, hopefully much more conscious main population of of eaters, of people kind of on the planet, understanding the importance of soil, but also just how everything is connected. And I think that's part of what I like about regenerative is that it doesn't minimize those connections, right? Because some, like, part of the reason we got into this whole mess is scientists tried to extract individual elements yeah. out of the system and say, all you need to do is put these yeah. three chemicals on your, on your property and everything's great. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? It's that so, reductive thing like, that's gotten us in all the trouble. Yeah, that reductive. Yeah. yeah. I agree completely. And you can't just reduce it to NPK and import your nitrogen, your phosphorus, your potassium, and and it's all good. It just doesn't work that way in the long run. It may in the short run. Yeah, and I feel like having all these conversations come out through regenerative about how nature is a system. Yeah. Our bodies are a system. We're part of the system of nature. And, you know, again, back to the microbiome, I'm just like starting to learn these complexities that it's not just about you take this one ingredient and you're healthy. It's about how that ingredient reacts to other things, both in your body and the other things you're eating and so on and so forth. So I just love that 
we're having these deeper conversations about how everything is interconnected. You know, we talked earlier in the, this conversation about how and why the Regenerative Organic Alliance was founded, but I'm curious now, a handful of years in, what are you most proud of to date? There's a lot of things I'm pretty proud of. I would say, first off, I'm going to have to do a couple of, I'm going to have to enumerate a couple. One is the team. <laughs> okay. the, I'm sorry. I'll say two. Okay, I'll, stay, I'll limit yeah, it yeah. to two. One is my <laughs> team. It's amazing. We had a new person join us today. And to see all these smiling faces around the Zoom room and having everybody come together and share a little bit about their background and what made them so passionate about the work we were doing with this new person almost made me weepy. It's really sweet. And it's amazing because I've got all these very talented people who have been working in farming, agronomy, and certification in some way or another. And our team spans from um, South Dakota all the way down to the tip down in South America. We have two people in Brazil, we have Argentina, Peru. And so um, that was a really proud moment. And I know we're going to keep growing and keep serving all the farmers around the world who are kind of knocking at our the proverbial door. So I love that. That's one. The other one, it, I had to think about this a bit. And, you know, when I first got this job, this idea was to create this really high standard for agriculture, really high bar. And also make something very credible. So very robust, very credible, but also make it attainable. And that was a very tall order. And I was worried about a lot of my friends from the organic world who I worked with for 20 years. My friends who are farmers, my friends who work at certification agencies and state agencies and at the National Organic Program. And you know, I, I didn't want to alienate the people, my friends in the organic sector with this idea of a program that was going to go above and beyond organic. And so building bridges and making sure that we're all in it together has been a really big mission. And I feel like we've come a long way and that people don't think we're there to criticize them or um, try and weaken the program. It's not, it couldn't be farther from the truth. I believe in organic and I want to hold it up strong, but I also know there are areas that the organic program can never address. And that is when we get to the human component, the social equity, and a lot of times the animal agriculture operations are at a real disadvantage with, with organic. So that's it. Those are the two things. Yeah, those are great notes. And I especially like the uh, note about the almost political side of things that in the organic industry, it can get a little bit, uh, you know, one side versus another. Maybe it started with, just organic versus conventional farmers, for example, right? Like we've done a lot of work with Organic Valley and and they're a farmer-owned co-op. And yeah. although all their farmers are organic, their neighbors may not be. So when Organic Valley puts out marketing materials talking about how great organic is or how bad conventional is by comparison or something like that, yeah. their farmers would complain because they're like, you're alienating us in our community here. Yes, we believe in organic, but like we don't want to you know, talk crap about all of our neighbors, so to speak. So it so started true. there, but then even within organic, like there started becoming splinters of people who, you know, wanted to push it further and people who are okay with watering things down a bit, so long as it expands the playing fields, so to speak, and gets more people converting to organic and, and so on and so forth. So I could totally see how that would have been one of your, you know, concerns or fears going in is 
creating this new movement without alienating other people who've already been on this journey or who are on this journey in a slightly different way. You totally nailed it. Yep. That is it. And it, it is, it can be a circular firing squad. It's kind of like our national politics. And so it's same <laughs> in the organic sector is this, and it will never do well by pitting against each other. We have to work together. We have to link arms and build a movement and help bring entice farmers who are using pesticides and herbicides, entice them in because of the benefits you get to show through the organic production of regenerative organic production. And I think that's, there's no better way to get people in than to appeal to them and invite them in rather than to force them in or to absolutely them or, uh, you know, belittle. So none of those things were uh, going to be our strategy. And, and it was difficult sometimes because you do want to differentiate. And so finding that way, finding right. those right. ways of differentiating our program isn't easy because it is complicated. Nothing can be reduced to a really simple, easy, got milk kind of campaign, right? So that's been a tall order and we still have lots, long way to go. Absolutely. I mean, that's a good point too. Like I'm always like, there's some certifications or some movements that are very simple, right? It's about one thing, like the non-GMO movement, I feel like exploded to some degree because it was just about GMO or not GMO. (laughs) So it was an easy conversation. Whereas with things like regenerative organic, like organic is deep, regenerative is deep. So there's a lot to educate there already. And then to your point, there's these like parallel paths of organic and then regenerative organic. So there's inherently some education that needs to go along with it. And in that education, you can either just talk about the benefits of of what you're doing, or you can do a compare and contrast. But when you do that compare and contrast, you're alienating someone or you're, you know, making them feel lesser, which makes it a little more controversial. Totally. Yeah. And then there's also like the climate smart movement or the climate friendly movement and Mm -hmm. the carbon, the CO2 friendly, all these different things that are happening. So yeah, it touches on a lot of these. And I think just you're really knowledgeable on all these certifications and these movements. And so I'm sure you get it, but consumers come to their place of, of wherever they're shopping, wherever they're buying their food, they have a certain set of values they carry in there with them. And so finding products that really answer to that, that entire suite of values, that isn't just singular one thing, non-GMO, for example, that it's going to address more than just one thing and and that that's our job is to really help consumers understand that when they buy regenerative organic certified products they're supporting something that probably meets a lot of their values absolutely and that's a good plug for the guide too and part of the reason we were excited to feature these nine different certifications or affiliations is because you know consumers are buying based on their values it's all the data is there right and yeah. but there are lots of different values and lots of different certifications and they all mean different things so part of this was to capture a, a more holistic view of just impact driven in various ways whether it's minority owned or regenerative organic or upcycled or whatever maybe it's right. all three of those things you know that's that's right. especially awesome but yeah. like first of all to show the cross section of all the different ways you can be impactful but then also Hopefully, there's some consumers out there that read this guide that didn't know about one of these certifications or one of these movements, and now they do know, and they can look for that moving forward. Yes, that's hope. That's a great goal to have. Yeah, <laughs> and I also just love you know all the momentum you're getting with this movement. I love even just personally, somewhat selfishly, seeing a lot of the pioneering brands that uh, we've either worked with at Modern Species or have featured on this 
podcasts yeah. like Above Food, Alex Ice Cream, Dr. Bronner's Farmer Direct Organic, Global Organics, Manitoba Harvest, Philosopher Foods, New Leaf, Wild Orchard. Like I could probably keep <laughs> naming some, but I just kind of looked over people. the screen of like certified members and I'm like, these are all people that have been on the podcast or we've worked with. And it's just so, so, so cool, cool to see all them in this, but then all the other brands that I didn't know yet or I haven't interacted with. It's just great to see this movement growing. Well, and now you get to do you know brands, and that's really awesome too. Because yeah, you've got a really all-star list there. You just went up, ticked off, and these people are such leaders, and it drives me every day with getting to help work with them and try and help them build their brand and build their presence. So yeah, it's very cool. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a, definitely a rock star group that's involved in pushing this forward. Speaking of which, though, how many do you know roughly how many? products are out there currently ROC certified and where people can go and find that list so they can support this movement by buying these products? Yes. Thanks for asking. I just looked it up before we got on the call. There's over 800 (laughs) products now with the Regenerative Organic Certified logo on it or Regenerative Organic Certified Ingredients. You can go to our website to regenorganic.org and we've got a brand new product brand listing page. So if you go to the tab that says find ROC, you can find the farmers all around the world. And then you can find all the different brands that carry these products. You can find a lot of them at Whole Foods, Sprouts, Arrow One Market. If you're down in Southern California, Thrive Market will deliver to you. Who else? We're we're working with some more independent grocers now. And that's pretty exciting. And we're going to have a few of those maybe even up in your region. So that's really good news. And you can buy online. You can go support these brands directly by getting to their website from ours. So yeah, there's over 800 products. We've got 100, almost 120 different brands now licensed to make products with ROC ingredients. Nice. That's amazing. And it, the list keeps growing. I know for, for one fact, we're working on launching a brand right now that I can't talk about yet, but they'll be launching a bunch more products uh, that are ROC certified. So so that's exciting. The list keeps going. So thanks for sharing some of that info of where people can find this and a little bit more about the certification. With that said, we're going to switch into a little bit of a holiday time fun with a rapid fire question session. Okay. So As I've mentioned a couple times for the listeners, this episode is part of a series around the impact-driven gift guide that we're launching, and it features over 70 different brands with these nine different certifications like ROC. So you can find links to that guide in the show notes, but now let's just kind of like have a little fun with these questions. So I figured uh, we would, since this is kind of around holiday time, maybe we do a holiday-themed rapid fire So I'm just going to dive in and feel free to answer however you want. So starting off, what's your favorite type of gift to receive? I felt like my mother when I thought about this, something handmade. (laughs) But because when you're kids, you know how your mom's always like, oh, just make me a card. And it's really true, though. And I wore something that is handmade today in honor of this. And this is uh, wool from some sheep that are regeneratively grazed over in Marin County and then dyed with indigo. So something like that, handmade, locally sourced, supporting a local economy, that's always my favorite kind of gift. Yep. That's amazing. And that's why we included this like makers section in the guide for people who want to make something for someone. So we have 
some products where you can like make a candle for someone or maybe cook them dinner. And we kind of listed some suggested products there. So that's an area that I would really love to expand upon because, you know, part of conscious consumerism isn't just going out and spending dollars all the time, which, you know, we do need to do that. Vote with your dollars and buy the better brands. But it's also about like maybe reusing something or upcycling something that you have at home and like making it better and handing that off as a gift. So we're excited to maybe dig deeper into that next year. I love it. Okay. So what is your favorite holiday of the year? You know, I, we are entering into the season of, you know, a time when people gather around the table and break bread and share meals and share gratitude. And so I really kind of love this beginning of the season where people do this, where there's a, a huge abundance of harvest where I live. And it was the same when I lived up in the Northwest, there was so much abundance that we gathered and brought to tables to share with one another and, you know, kind of leading up into the winter solstice. And that's just kind of a very special time of year for me. And so I, I'm going to just call that like the season of gathering as mine. And yeah, it'll range from November right into December. And I, I actually have something else. That's beautiful. And I, that I can share um, this Ooh. is some sweetgrass that I gathered on the hills up in Mendocino when I was out mushroom collecting last November. And I'll be going again soon. We just had some rain. So it's going to be time to go look for mushrooms. And I never knew that there was all this beautiful sweetgrass on particular hillside. And so I made this for a lot of my friends. I wove them some braids of sweetgrass. And I think that's a really beautiful thing to give to people is something you go and gather and make yourself. Yeah, that's really cool. Back to the handmade stuff. But I, yeah. I love also that your answer was kind of about seasons, right? The change of the seasons, whether we're, it's planting season or growing season or harvesting season or and the fact that this season that we're moving into is all about that kind of harvesting, that abundance, that gathering around the table, that celebrating nature to some degree of like what it's provided us, right? So that's kind of a beautiful way of looking at it. I like that. Yeah. Okay, so... Where do you like to go to shop for gifts? I stay local. I am not an Amazon shopper. I buy things. I always think about it when I go to local stores that because I'm not buying from Amazon, I'm helping this kid keep their job and I'm helping this store stay in existence. Yeah. I always like actually when I was up in Olympia, there was the sound currency. I don't know if that's still around. You remember that or is it anywhere around there? It was a local currency. We had uh, we had it in sure. Berkeley. Yeah, it was Berkeley bread. And you could basically oh, use local gotcha. currency and keep, you know, find other ways to drive revenue into people's hands directly. And I, I love that. I think that's really, really important for our thriving communities. Keep the resources as local as you can. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I remember, um, I don't know if time banks are still a thing, but there was those time banks for a little while where instead of, you know, trading money, you could trade time and you would yeah. track, you know, your credits of what you've done for the community. And then you could use your credits to get something from someone else in the community, whether products yeah, or services. Uh, I've I haven't seen one of that. those in a little while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've never used that, but you're right. That's a really beautiful way to do things as well. And, you know, of course, there's also like what you're doing and other more ethically minded kind of collections of things that really speak to your or my a consumer's values that and is another great place to go for sure. Yeah. And that, that was actually one of the things we talked about in the guide 
for the guide, since people are going to be looking at this from all across the country and or, you know, continent or something like that, we had to just put like links to a website to go buy stuff. But one of the things we talked about is maybe finding some way to feature some local places like, hey, there's six products in this guide from this region. Here's a grocery store. Here's a place where you could find most of those products. So we're going to try to find some ways to like push people to shop local as well. That's great. You think about like community food co-ops too. Those are always a great place for people to support local. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, I buy lots of gifts from there too. Shout out to Olympia Food Co-op. Yes, exactly. I volunteered there. So, oh, nice. Awesome. So what's one gift that if you could only give one gift to everyone on your list, what would that be? I mean, it's food. I make people food and drinks. Those are my love language. I'm always making things like that, that I give people. And I meant to bring an array of those in the room and I didn't, but I have behind me in my garage, (laughs) I have cherries from the peak of harvest I've put in brandy and I have shrubs where I harvested my blueberries and my raspberries Mm -hmm. and I put with apple cider, organic apple cider vinegar, and then mix it with honey and it makes into a nice shrub. And I actually first learned how to make those shrubs when I was in the Ozarks from a, a woods woman there who was always making shrubs at the peak of harvest, anything, she just cover it with apple cider vinegar and extract the potency from that berry, whatever it was, and then mix it equal parts of honey and you could have it on ice with a little soda water or in a cup of hot and a mug with hot water, make like a little hot soothing drink. So I have a lot of concoctions like that brewing just through that wall. And that's what I usually do. I make something like out of spirits involved, I'll say, and or food. That's beautiful. And now I wish I was living near you so I could try some of those. <laughs> <Delicious shrubs. laughs> if I you come down. Shrubs. I, get, uh, I wish I could you remember should. the name of it. Of which kind of shrub? Yeah. I'll maybe put that on my list. But there, yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of the brand, but there's a company that I found at the Olympia Farmer's Market that I bought their shrubs recently, but they make some really beautiful stuff. And I'm a big spice fan and they've made like fruits mixed with, you know, apple cider vinegar, but also some like cayenne or something like that in it, some chili pepper. So it adds yeah. this just amazing little kick to like some seltzer or, or whatever else you want to mix it with. So yeah, super delicious stuff. So There's such that. a rage now with the mocktails. So or the non-alcoholic drinks, I yeah. think there seems to be like a move in that direction. And I love it because you can make such festive drinks with it. I do like a salt and chili on the rim of something like you could do this gauge. I'm going to tell you, this is my newest kick. Okay. Tepache. <laughs> it's a tepache. Yeah. It's a Mexican. It's a, like a cultural drink tepache. in Mexico. They take the pineapple rind and wow. ferment it. They put sugar and water with the pineapple rind and then just cover it with some cloth or something for Depends how warm it is in your home, but, you know, two to four days and it gets a little fizzy and you strain it off and then you, I put some chilies in it. I put some, I don't know, mango juice or ginger and it's a really delicious concoction. I can't bottle that one that you have to drink pretty much after you make it. But the other things, uh, lemoncello, I make a lot of lemoncello because I have three different kinds of citrus trees. So I use those. Oh, wow. So yeah, you'll have to come visit I invite yeah, you. Yeah, this sounds amazing. <laughs> a whole array yeah, of thank you. 
Yeah, I'm a big beverage fan. I've always got like throughout the day, I have like five or six different beverages from coffees to teas to bubbly waters to whatever. I just like the variety. So it sounds like your place is my kind of heaven. Yeah, same. And speaking of which, we didn't feature them in the guide, but since you mentioned it, there is a brand called Tapache, too, that makes canned drinks like mango chili, and they are organic certified, not regenerative organic, but you might want to check that out and see if you could find those locally. uh, They're not in the guide, and I I didn't do the work, but I know of them through the community, yeah. That's why I started making it, because I was drinking those cans, and it's like $4 a can, (laughs) and I'm like, I got to figure out how to do this. And I yeah. just did it like about a month or two ago. I started making this. It's all because of those cans. And I copied them 100%. Yeah. I, I mean, I looked it up. I found recipes easy yeah, it's to It's one find. of my favorite up. finds from Expo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love it too. That's funny. Awesome. <laughs> okay, last question. So since this is the impact-driven gift guide after all, I'd love to know what impact-driven means to you. Impact-driven means like we're trying to make change. We have a food system that is in desperate need of change. And so that's what I have been an activist my whole adult life, trying to make change and bring purposeful change. And so I think for me, like it's if you're having impact, you're, you are making some noticeable change to a system that desperately needs you. That's what it means to me. Absolutely. And there are so many systems, unfortunately, that need to be changed, right? Like so many. it's almost yeah. every human system that we've created, whether healthcare, economics, food system, whatever, it all needs to be evolved to some degree because it was either because problems grew out of scale of our species or yeah. maybe problems were designed into the system from the get-go that need to sure. be kind of pulled out. So, so much yeah. change that needs to happen. But I, I like that definition, kind of driving change, fixing broken systems. That's cool. Yeah, fixing a broken system. I mean, we know it. You just said like the three that are so intertwined, economic, food, and health. Our healthcare system, right. we are spending trillions of dollars on diet-related diseases because people can't access nourishing healthy food. Like that is... It's, it's horrible, yeah. It pretty much sums it all up. So we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah. Yeah, one of our recent podcast guests, Koss, K-O-S, that's basically why they founded their business is this idea of kind of going back to the ancient Greek physician, uh, Hippocrates, mm-hmm. I believe is how it's pronounced. Mm-hmm. But he's the one that said, let food be thy medicine, medicine mm-hmm. be thy food. So mm-hmm. it's the idea that like, if you're eating good food that's grown well, and you're eating like real food, not hyper processed food, et cetera, then it should make you well, right? But if you're right. not eating well, then you need all this medicine. <laughs> so so yeah. instead of taking all that medicine, hopefully we can get back to a place where our food is our medicine. We're eating healthy, we're eating nutrient-dense foods, we're eating you know, organic stuff, et cetera, that makes our body better, regenerates us and the planet at the same time. Yes. Hallelujah. I tell you, I've met people in the last couple of years who really come to this movement from that exact place from very much like had health problems and changed their diet and really came to this like autoimmune, all kinds of situations that I've heard of where people really address it through a change in their diet. And I believe in that very deeply. Yeah, absolutely. That was, reminds me of another guest. I could, I guess I could just keep rattling on all the time, but (laughs) we had a guest on the show that came to this movement exactly through that. She had been like lifelong experiencing Lots of health problems. And then finally, 
I think in her like 40s or 50s or something like that, I can't remember, took a look at what she was eating and realized that if she changed her diet, all of a sudden so many other issues in her life kind of lifted and she felt so much better. Yeah. Uh, so she created a brand, if I'm remembering correctly, called Eat Real Food or mm. is that the right name? I can tell you another one that is the same story. I have two, three. <laughs> one is Bumju, nice. The Delicious Revolution. She is Korean and she's doing this whole movie about this. And she also had similar challenges, health challenges, and changed her diet and learned about food. And there's many people, Jeff Catch and Robin O'Brien on my board, and then Ashley Walsh from Pocono Organics. Wow. Yeah. Same, like, that makes serious, sense. Like, very serious testimonies from these people about how learning about their food and changing their diet changed their trajectory in life. Right. Yeah. And I did find the episode. It was uh, Bobby Giudicelli with Read the Ingredients. And she oh, kind of realized that a organic, you know, plant-based diet was much better for her than all the processed food she was eating due to lots of sensitivities and everything else. And once she made that change, like her life just changed and she feels so much better now. She even wrote a book about the, her journey called The Freedom from a Toxic Relationship with Food, which I, which I love that title because so many of us do have kind of a toxic relationship with food, right? Totally. It's, it's damaging us. Yeah, yeah. And I'm uh, looking at her website here there. or her product. It's beautiful. Read the ingredients. And then another one that comes to mind too, if we're rattling this off, is a, a friend, Dennis Weaver, who's a big kind of organic advocate. And he has a whole radio show called Change Your Food, Change Your Life, where it's all about oh. featuring organic brands and what they make, because he also experienced that same thing. Once he tried organic, he couldn't go back. It just changed everything about his life. So, so, yeah, so yeah. many of those stories, you know, we can keep going on. But you know, we'll put could. some of the links to in the show notes for anyone who wants to dig deeper in any of those stories. Yeah, there you go. I just downloaded his too. So thank you. I've got, or I got his website up. It's been so fun yeah, to talk to you, Gage. Thank you for all your work and for what you're doing. And it's uh, really great, really great to see you bringing all this together and kind of curate this whole collection and be so knowledgeable about it. So thank you. It's a lot of fun. I love doing it. And thank you for uh, doing everything you do to help move this generative organic movement forward and for taking some time out to share with us on the show what you're up to. And thanks for collaborating with us on this impact gift guide. It's yeah. going to be huge. Everyone download it. It's awesome. But yeah, thanks for everything you're doing to help fix the broken food system because it's much needed. I appreciate it. Let's keep doing it and rock on, as we say here at the ROA. <laughs> There's a lot of puns you can use with the ROC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. I've heard a lot of them too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the Regenerative Organic Certification or Elizabeth, visit regenorganic.org. That's R E G E N organic.org. And to get your copy of the gift guide, go to modernspecies.com backslash gift guide. If you like this show, remember to help us grow by liking, reviewing, and sharing. If you're new here, don't forget we have over 100 episodes in the archive. Some might be called Evolve CPG, but it's the same show, so dig in for more goodness. If you consider yourself an impact-driven professional, join me over at impactdriven.community where we're supporting each other's growth as impact leaders. 